Welcome back, everybody, to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris-Richards, LICSW and CST. I'm an ASECT certified sex therapist, and I am your sex-positive sex couples and family therapist here today with my wonderful producer, Vicki, to talk all about healthy sexuality. How are you? Woo-woo! I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. <laughs> She's so cute. Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. You know what? Before I uh, go on in our conversation that I'm always so intrigued by with you, Vicki, I just want to say the mission of our program here, which is to help individuals, couples, and families embrace and integrate sex-positive thinking into daily life for optimal health, including sexual health and wellness, because to be human is to be sexual. Um, you know, we go for mammograms and gynecological exams and prostate exams for physical sexual health. We owe ourselves checkups on the emotional and mental aspects of sexual health for optimal health and wellness. There, I've said it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if we can talk about sex, we can talk about anything, right? We can talk about racism, we can talk about oppression, we can talk about, um, you know, ways that folks just aren't living their best lives. And, and I want that for people, right? I think you probably do too, don't you? I do. I know. I love And I, you know, that. it's crazy, but if you can talk about sex openly, then I bet it'd be easier to talk about other difficult things like emotion easily as well. Mm. Yes. So, right. Yeah. Right. Right. How, how we're feeling and, and be, you know, have it be okay to be vulnerable. Um, and the last and also, one you used, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. But always what comes to mind with that is, is feeling and doing are equally important. So we can say what we feel, but again, let that be the guide to what we need and then maybe do something different for ourselves um, or make a request of our partner like that. What were we going to say? Um, in the last podcast, in the Esther Perel quote, you used mm. the phrase um, emotional emotional nakedness or something like that, or being oh, emotionally yeah. naked. And I, I just yes. thought that was beautiful because it's mm. I thought it was interesting and I, it kind of stuck with me. So, oh yeah, I love that phrase too, emotionally naked. Um, and it kind of reminds me of another quote. You know, I talk with people a lot about differentiation, and I know you know today the the topic is on healthy sexuality, but healthy sexuality and healthy being uh, and healthy doing, um, mm. you know, we're human beings and we're, we're human doings, right? Um, but all of that stuff for optimal happiness has to do with what's called differentiation. And, um, you know, my hero, David Schnark, who I adore, yep. <laughs> uh, who is no longer with us, unfortunately, but boy, was he quite the, quite the mind. Um, he says, and this is not unlike the Esther Perel quote in a way, which I think you might like. He says, when people have come to terms with existential loneliness, they approach intimacy with a markedly different attitude. They might think, quote, I am so happy to have you in my life to share with you my days, which would otherwise be filled with emptiness and meaninglessness. My fears of your rejection are only a defense against the greater fears of my own separateness and mortality. Come let me show myself to you, and in so doing, let me transcend my aloneness. I celebrate knowing you and give thanks for this opportunity during my turn on earth. Isn't that lovely? And I think that if, you know, 
when I'm doing, uh, when I'm working with couples in families, when I'm working with parents and kids, um, I think this is relevant because it's about how we relate in a way that's so fully alive and fully expressed. Mm. That's nice, isn't it? Mm. I mean, in, you know, intimacy with adults is, is a different thing, obviously, than, than intimacy with your children. But, you know, I talk a lot about like the father-daughter relationship, right? And when daughters can be really open with their dads, you know, when we sort of, I'll, I'll talk about this more with adults later in healthy sexuality. I, I've talked about this idea quite often of foregrounding or putting dad in the, in the front of the picture, right, more. Um, and in fact, what's really good about that, guys, is that she, your partner, um, or your or he, your male partner, will find you more attractive if you are more involved. Yeah. You know, the involvement of fathers is, is very sexy, very attractive. So, um, yeah, so there we have it. So how are you, by the way, just quickly, in this uh, new season of spring? Good. Great. Yeah. What you been doing? Are you are you growing? My plant lady, are you growing anything right now? Oh, I just oh. bought so many seeds. Yes. <laughs> oh, I have did some you, moonflower like seeds. I have some moonflower seeds that are soaking right now. It's like oh. a it's like a white morning glory. Oh, nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Cool. How about you? Cool. Oh, I I didn't plant anything. I am not a planter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My, my partner is the planter, but, um, uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying looking at the flowers in our yard that are coming up. It's so yeah. cool. You know, right now it's, we're recording this in March, everybody. So the secret is out. Um, <laughs> but I think whenever it's posting, but you know, the crocuses are coming up and the daffodils. And we talked about this last time. Um, and I thought I was spotting tulips. Of course, it's too early for that, but you know, I got, oh, I got, you know, uh, too far ahead of myself and got excited, <laughs> but but between that and listening to the bird calls, it's just lovely. I'm trying to be really present like you, focusing on slowing down, you know, because we live in such a fast-paced world. And that's another thing about what I do with folks um, is really just try to focus a lot on slowing down um, because it's important to slow down if you want to be more present, uh, more mindful. We're able to almost stretch time, absorb experiences more, be be there, present for our partners, our family members, and this is this is what makes the richness of life. Yeah. Right. Not rushing around everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, let's let's dive into our second part here about healthy sexuality. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. Great. Um, so let's see. Um, we started last time talking a little bit about the ways that. Um, how do I say this? You know, when it comes to low desire, or in, in the field we call it hyposexual desire disorder, or HSDD, um, mm -hmm. that can be reframed or helped by looking at ways of thinking that impede the idea of positive sexual experience. And this is mm -hmm. integral to overall health. So um, if people are saying, you know, I'm uh, sort of buying into to, uh, this idea that you know, masturbation is wrong or, you know, sex is dirty or good girls don't or, you know, mm. stuff like that. That's that's impeding uh, our relationship with ourselves, um, yeah. with with desire, delight, joy, sensual happiness. And, and it's not just about sex. It's just about like, you know, we've said going to hear a 
a concert. I know it's COVID, so this is hard, but, you know, hearing music, uh, you know, sitting with your partner or family just over a cup of tea and enjoying, you know, just having those moments where you're present and enjoying is so nice. So um, anyway, we talked about kids and healthy sexuality last time, and this time we're going to talk about adolescence and touch a little bit on adults. We talk a lot about adults, so we want to definitely spend some time on adolescence today and how to have conversations with them. So I'll start with, I'm focusing on six things here. Um, and we talked last time, do I need to repeat those six things that impede low desire from last time? Do you think? No. Okay. You, people go back and listen if you want. <laughs> About the, like anxiety mostly, right? Impedes and, and, you know, buying into myths and all that stuff. So, um, you know, in part uh, for families, including adolescents, addressing sexual health and healthy sexuality is about adults or parents um, developing comfort to address this topic with their teenagers, you know, um, for the sake of a teenager or adolescent's identity, right? So things like normalizing self-touch, solo sex, masturbation, to decrease or eliminate shame and embarrassment about sex and increase a sex-positive attitude over a sex-negative one. Right. Like kids need to be able to ask their parents, you know, what's normal, what's not normal. I meet right. with people all the time where they say, is that normal? Is that nor- not normal? What I started doing when I was a kid? And like, you know, Vicky, we always say everything's normal. Um, there are very few things that are not. Right. So normalizing um, how important it is, uh, you know, and you don't want your you know, teenager masturbating in the living room in front of company, obviously. So, you know, we talk about boundaries, right? Like where that's, you know, it's good to do it. It's great. It's just, you know, there's a, a place and a time, right? Um, what else with teens? You know, we can normalize sexuality as part of being human. Again, so so kids and teens have learning opportunities regarding sex, not missed opportunities, right? This decreases incidence of STIs, uh, sexually transmitted infections, and teen pregnancy. There is a book that is coming to my mind right now. Oh, let's see. Amy Shallot. Oh, what is the name of her book? Oh, let's see. Amy Shallot wrote a book on uh, normalizing sexuality uh, in the Netherlands. Hold on, i got to grab the name of the book. Um, is it called? Sorry, everybody. Amy Shallot wrote um, Not Under My Roof. And she demonstrates that in the Netherlands, by talking about sex, uh, incidences of pregnancy and STIs is much decreased. Right. Because there are open conversations about it. Um, so if anybody's interested, Not Under My Roof, roof is a great a great take on on why it's really important to be talking about what we're talking about, normalizing stuff for kids and teens. And if you as a parent are talking to your kid or your teen about that stuff and and making it normal, then they'll also be more willing to talk to their doctor about it or, you know, whoever so that they can, you know, be honest with their doctor as to, you know, if they're sexually active or, you know, anything like that so that their doctor is also aware so that their doctor knows and just keep everybody safe. Oh, absolutely. Sure. And again, we talked about this last time, but adults fear quite often because this is how we're raised. It's not our fault necessarily. This is what we're steeped in, this this fear of eroticism. And adults 
often don't talk with kids and teens about it because they fear their own uh, erotic nature. Mm. You know, they, when when somebody gets embarrassed or turns red or you know feels ashamed about talking about it, you know this is their own stuff, and so that's a way. So avoidance, as we know from these podcasts that I've talked about, um, avoidance is a way of coping with anxiety, but it's not it's not productive. It's not constructive. Uh, we want, we don't want to avoid. We want to turn toward. We want to, even though it makes us feel uncomfortable, you know, our kiddos, they don't know anything, right? I mean, we are the ones that know stuff. So we kind of really should. Um, I know people don't like the word should, but for the, the benefit of children and their knowledge and their willingness to come to you when they're having issues, um, open the door, open the conversation, open, open the dialogue. Um, and you can let them lead the way, um, you know, particularly younger children. Um, you don't necessarily have to address uh, where babies come from until they start asking. And they will. They're curious. Yeah. They're interested. But it's, they, but it's better to have an answer than be like, I don't know, go ask your whoever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And again, you know, there's that AHA parenting website, if people want to check it out, that talks about, you know, when kids are, are two, how you talk about it versus maybe at seven versus at, you know, 12 or 16. So um, let's see, what else did I want to talk about? So um, yeah, normalizing self-touch. This is the fourth idea that I have here um, about, you know, so, solo sex, masturbation, beginning to understand oneself, and self-reliance related to pleasure. So this is a very important idea because if we think it's wrong to touch ourselves um, th- and we feel guilt or shame or embarrassment about it, uh, we're going to try to access pleasure in other ways, uh, other ways that may not be healthy for us. Um I mean, there's lots of ways to access pleasure that are healthy, right? Like, oh, I don't know what comes to mind. Listening to music and gardening and, uh, you know, making art and traveling and being outside in nature and all that stuff. But it's also really important to know that, you know, your body parts feel good. So that's great. And if you want to touch yourself... um, and that feels good. There's many learning opportunities here to know what turns you on so you can communicate that later in life to your partner, right? And then it's not up to your partner. I see all too many times couples where, you know, I'll ask a partner, a low desire partner, what does turn them on, what they do like, what does feel good, and they say, I don't know. And that, what that says to me is there's a lack of development, um, it's a way of it, it's, that person got stuck somewhere along the line if they don't know right. what feels good or maybe they know what feels good, but um, they're not able to get it out of their head and across to their partner. And so, again, that's a way of sort of being stuck. And I like getting people unstuck. And it's very freeing and liberating and, and quite nice. So nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then let's see, the fifth thing I wanted to talk about was uh, breaking down myths, right? This idea that we buy into these myths that masturbation is wrong. We get societal messages, uh, messages from religious institutions and spiritual organizations about masturbation being wrong. Or, you know, like we talked about this last time, if I talk to my kids about sex, they're going to want it. No. So in fact, a recent survey of American teens nine out of 10 actually said it would be easier to delay sexual activity and prevent unwanted pregnancy if they were able to have more open, honest conversations with their parents. Wow. Interesting, right? Wow. 
Yeah, let's just take that in for a minute. 90% of them said that. Wow. So in talking about it with them, you know, the reason this is so important is they gain knowledge. They gain, you know, skills needed to stay safe and make good decisions about relationships and intimacy. Which leads to our next one, my sixth idea, about reviewing rules of consent, right? We Mm -hmm. talked about this with the little tykes, the little kiddos, but um, it's very important for teenagers because now they are, you know, post-adolescence, they are having, you know, clear, you know, sexual impulses and urges for for another. Um, So reviewing rules of consent, both asking and receiving, no means no. The absence of a no does not mean yes. Right. If somebody doesn't say no, that doesn't mean they're saying yes. Right. So, uh, there's another good website out there that I found uh, called the National Child Traumatic Stress Network, uh, www.nctsn, National Child Traumatic Stress Network, um, dot org. And, and not that, mm, not talking about sexual trauma necessarily, just talking about, you know, what's appropriate in terms of how you address these topics with kids according to their ages, you know, and if you need that support, you want to go back and review it, look at it. That's a, that's a pretty good website I found. So what do you think about all this before we move on to adults? Any thoughts or? I just think it's so important. I just really do. I think it's so important and I know it's awkward and uncomfortable or, you know, it could be awkward and uncomfortable, but especially now with there being so much information so readily available it's better Mm -hmm. that you know your your kids kind of can go to you and talk to you so that you're involved in what they're absorbing you know yeah so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah i so thank you for saying that um yeah there's this this idea that you know I, i always think about a's right so anxiety often leads to avoidance I'd rather uh, that we develop ourselves in letting the anxiety, uh, putting in the effort to to adopt more of a framework of acceptance rather than yes. avoidance. Yeah. Another A word. So, um, yeah, acceptance. So that leads to the next piece of what I wanted to talk about, which is, you know, in part for adults or, you know, consenting partners or parents, right, mm-hmm. addressing sexual health and healthy sexuality is about just that. It's about acceptance that, you know, our kids are born with body parts that feel good. Right. And let's name them correctly. Yes. Let's call it a vulva. Let's call it a vagina. Let's call it a clitoris. Let's call it a penis. You know, let's call it what it is, uh, an anus, whatever. Um, you know, it's very, very important. Uh, scrotum, you know, the list goes on. So um, the opportunities for parents to understand uh, that they have agency and power Uh, like in their own growth here, as well as shaping their children's sense of themselves. You know, I talk a lot with couples about uh, the reflected sense of self versus the solid sense of self. So what does that mean? Um, If we are trying to gain our confidence by looking through our partner's eyes, right, the the reflection through our partner's eyes, uh, or even our kids, then we're in a weaker position as opposed to finding our sense of ourselves through ourselves, our own eyes. And this is not easy. I'm not suggesting this comes naturally. It does not. But we have to do stuff to, to start to feel more confident. Um, and so, like, for example, you know, when fathers put in that effort and to be more involved, um, 
this is great for for the family relating, not only between father and daughter, but again, I think I mentioned this last time, between the partners raising the kids. Because if he's involved, he's going to seem more attractive to his partner, right? His his wife or his husband, um, you know. And so, demonstrating reliability and openness, right, and being involved in your in your daughter's development, including sexual development, right. So that what does that mean? That means being open, talking about when she gets her period, menses, right, about relationships, about sexual orientation, uh, gender identity, dating, safe sex. You know, the literature shows that young women have higher levels of education when this is the case. Um, They're just, you know, their lives are are better. They have better financial satisfaction, career satisfaction, and relationships, and just quality of life. It's it's positively developmental. Um, And it allows young women to feel like, oh, I can go to not only my mom, but my dad too. Right. Yeah, it's clearly good. Um, and with sons, right? When dads and sons, you know, maybe I'm talking about this ad infinitum on and on, but, you know, sons are more uh, empathic when their dads are involved. And for their sons, this leads to much better relationship satisfaction uh, as teens and adults. You know, the, like the understanding and doing of consent is easier if you're empathic. You know, you're able to kind of put yourself in the other person's shoes. So these are like fundamental skills for making lifelong successful connections in both like romantic, couple, family relationships, friendships, all that stuff. Uh, So let's see. Then another thing I wanted to talk about in terms of opportunities for adults, right, partners, consenting partners, parents, etc., and talking about sexuality, between themselves, uh, you know, if, let's say they don't have kids or if they have kids, um, you know, it's, these are good opportunities for their own development uh, in, in their relationship, increasing differentiation. You know, I've talked a lot, Vicki, about the five elements of happy and successful relationships, right, by Peggy Kleinplatz. Vulnerability, authenticity, risk-taking, comfort in managing conflict, and strong interpersonal communication, right? Because if we can talk about sex, we could talk about anything. Right. You know, the conversations we're having in the bedroom, being that open, we can do that in the kitchen. We can do that in the yard, in the living room, right, on vacation. Um, and then getting back to, you know, if, if adults are parents, you know, th- this is opportunities for moms also, you know, not, not just for dads, but for moms to understand that if she's more in the background, right, this is good for her child, Um in addition to their own, you know, couple relationship. But, you know, both grow, right? So uh, it's kind of like I'm always thinking about where do I where do I likely grow the most? It's when I'm uncomfortable, you know, like I'm, I'm supposed to be, now I've been thrown into teaching this course. I'm not a teacher. I mean, I'm an educator as a therapist, but suddenly I've been asked to teach this course. That made me super uncomfortable. I'm talking about me now, Donna. And, of course, my initial <laughs> impulse was to say no. And then I thought, oh, yeah, that then I better say yes, <laughs> because if I don't say yes, I won't grow. And, you know, that's OK. Maybe I don't want to grow in that way. But when you have a lot to say or you know a lot and someone's asking you to share that, you know, for me, I just thought, all right, let me say yes. Let me get uncomfortable and see what that provides. And I think the fear for people and I'm just like this is, you know, you want to do something perfectly. Oh, no. What if it's not perfect? Well, nobody's perfect. Nothing's perfect. So if we think good enough, good enough. Right. Um, that's important. So going back to this idea that, you know, when we're addressing sexuality as adults with children, um, 
children's anxiety is lower, right? So if we don't address it, it means that we're avoiding because we feel anxiety as adults. If we address it, children feel less anxiety, they're freer to play. Uh, sort of to your point, the last podcast, Vicki, about, I think you said you heard a child psychologist talking about this, about how important it is not to have structured play necessarily, right? Or, you know, education-based learning all the time. It could just be, you know, playing outside. It encourages kids to be free and play. Um, so uh, it's crucial for parents, right, to develop their own ability to manage their their own conflicts around this quickly, utilizing empathy, um, repair through apology, emotion regulation, effective communication. These are skills that are foundational for children. And, and kids need optimal modeling to establish their own sense of confidence, competence, uh, you know, academic goals, the freedom to explore, be sexually curious. Deborah Tolman, uh, 2002, she said, um, essentially, she said sexual curiosity and exploration leads to greater pleasure and happiness. What do you know? Because it's so inherent, right? I mean, sexuality is so inherent in who we are. And it's, a, and it's great, like you said, for, you know, role modeling for your children to see you and your partner talking about things that might be difficult or, you know, talking about things that make you uncomfortable or talking about things, even if you don't phrase it the best way, just like watching you work through it together so that, you know, your children then know that you are also a space for them to have difficult or uncomfortable conversations with instead of them just like hiding it because they think it's not okay. Oh, good one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, so, uh, there's op other opportunities for adults. I mean, there's so many, um, like, uh, developing a united front with children and holding the tension in the face of differing opinions or ideas on parenting. I see this a lot in, in, you know, my practice where folks are just having different ideas about, you know, how do we go at this? Now, I want to do this. I want to do this. You know, I want to give them, you know, material gifts every day and I don't. Okay, oh, yeah. how do we negotiate that? <laughs> uh, uh, let's see, increasing knowledge and feeling less alone with the common occurrence and transition of moms going through menopause when their daughters are getting their periods. Mm. That comes up sometimes. Um, you know, what's that like for, for adults uh, while their kids are transitioning, right? And speaking of transitioning, um, you know, let's say your child or your teen comes and wants to talk about gender transitioning mm. right this is so important uh being able to be open about that accepting about it um you know kids don't make this stuff up you know they're they're pretty authentic they they learn they learn how to hide stuff <laughs> we're not we're not born as secret keepers or hiders you know we we're mm. born authentic we're born you know kids are very open naturally um and then we learn how to hide stuff or put stuff away and you know, that's not good right yeah um uh, there's a greater likelihood i love this opportunity for adults there's a greater likelihood for positive growth as a couple as they're moving into if they have children kind of into and beyond empty nesting i, I have couples coming in a lot where you know the kids are now in college or they've moved out and they're saying who are we as a couple we don't know we've been parents so long and identified in that role we don't know who we are anymore. Yeah. So I encourage play. And here's something really nice that I, that I love when this happens. 
Um, you know, couples often come in with a goal of increased frequency of sex, right? Or I want my partner to initiate more. And what ends up happening in the end is if they begin to um, develop themselves around having fun, right? Being playful, being intentional, um, creating passion and being creative and imaginative, that goal in that specific way tends to no longer be important. What is What now happens is they say, I feel so close to my partner. I'm so happy. I feel desired. I feel like my partner wants me now. Even though maybe we're not, maybe we're having sex just as much as we did. Now I feel closer. I feel just, you know, there's more affection. There's more, you know, uh, she puts her hand on my arm and it just makes me feel so good. Right, so so there's that kind of growth, which is nice. Um, cool. Yep. So let's see. Uh, we talked about this last time, and maybe it bears repeating because maybe we can look at it now from the adult perspective. Um, parents talking with kids about sex they think will only make them want sex more, and we know the opposite is true. This is not the case. This is a myth. Right. Um, you know, myths about pornography. If my partner loved me, they wouldn't watch porn. Well, I mean, this is something to negotiate about. Uh, I do recommend real couple porn, right, if they're going to watch porn. Or uh, women, uh, female-driven or women-driven erotic pornography. Uh, it's much more appealing to women. So that's important. Um, so, And then just all the other kind of myths around sexual desire diminishing with age, not true. Um, in fact, you know, there is a statistic out there, and I wrote it down somewhere, that as women begin, like if, if women, for example, go back to school um, and they find purpose and meaning in life, later in life, they're much happier. Um, so, and, and if they're happier, <laughs> they're experiencing more desire, um, more life excitement. Um, so that's really good. So that so that means that desire does not diminish with age. We have to always be kind of creating ourselves. And, um, you know, I have this thing up on the, the wall of my office. Life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. And sometimes we have to recreate ourselves. Like with COVID, right? A lot of stuff went away. A lot of jobs, careers, lots of musicians I know couldn't gig anymore. Um, you know, uh, Broadway closed, actors weren't working. I mean, then what do we do? We have to find ways to, to recreate ourselves. So um, let's see, something else I, I want adults to understand about is that, uh, that eating disorders with kids or self-harming behaviors in adolescence is a way of them achieving what's called homeostasis or remaining stuck in a developmental phase. Um, and so encouraging healthy sexuality through normalizing, you know, touching oneself, right, or, you know, educating about sexuality leads to better outcomes so that adolescents can move through the phase of development. You know, sexism being talked about, remember last time we talked about sitting down to a meal and you're not, you're just eating the meal to get the calories so you can like keep going through the day, right? If we don't talk about how the food tastes or how it smells or the mouthfeel or texture, right, it's, we're missing so much. So in adults not addressing sex with their teenagers, their teenagers are missing so much, right? And then they get stuck. 
Um, also, sometimes teenagers act out with self-harming or eating issues because they're trying to um, get their parents to stop fighting. Hmm. There's a bit of a subtle distinction here in that children often feel responsible for what's going on with their parents. And so they create, a, 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 it's like, think of it like a, like a tricycle. They're sort of the third wheel and trying to create balance when the two a bi or, or dual relationship between parents becomes destabilized. Does that make sense? And then we get yeah. triangulation. <laughs> ah, which is only just the kid's way of uh, trying to keep things going. You know, I, I heard a very sad story the other day about uh, a little girl whose father died of COVID. She was nine or 10. And they started working with a family therapist because she was blaming herself for her dad's death. She was thinking in her mind, she was magically thinking that if she had been there at the hospital to make him laugh and smile, he would have lived. Oh, right. Oh, so, you know, through work with the with the family therapist, she was able to see this was not her fault. First of all, she couldn't go to the hospital. Right. Um, And so this is just I'm just saying this because you can see by this story how much control children imagine they have. Mm. So it's really important for parents to be leaders and let them know, you know, look, kiddos, we're leading the way here. We're the guides. We've been where you are. We know a lot. um, And this is what's good. And this isn't this is what's healthy and not healthy. Right. So omitting conversations about sex is not healthy. Let's talk about, you know, your body parts that feel good. And it's okay that you rubbed up against the chair. Don't worry. You know, you don't want to make the the face right of ah, shame and embarrassment. You don't want to keep that, that cycle going, that legacy going. Um, so in family therapy, you know, people can practice these skills in session to kind of get better at it. It's a matter of developing, right? It's like we were saying before about driving. How do you get better at driving? you got to get drive. behind the wheel. You drive. Exactly. Right, right. Uh, so, and then other things we talk about you know, with adults, like uh, beginning to shift um, the conversation around people who with disabilities or people who are... Um, aging or have medical conditions everybody's sexual right so just because you have a disability or you're older doesn't mean you're not sexual or not as sexual so stuff like that um there's so much more (laughs) there's so much more but this is just kind of some of the stuff some of the opportunities um in oh sorry uh this is just some of the opportunities for folks um to get in diving into not avoiding, but accepting sexuality as human. All right. So um, I think that we are going to wrap this up. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening and tuning in uh, and kind of being here with Vicki and I today. Um, and we will look forward to uh, getting together next time in our next podcast. But We just want to let you know that if you're interested in calling the office, feel free. Uh, It's 508-990-9909. The website is www.sexandcouplestherapy.com. The Facebook page is The Sex and Couples Therapist. And you can find us on Instagram at The Happy Ending Therapist. So remember, everybody, it's spring. Please feel free to uh, continue to set set up your life for pleasure and play and passion. It's good for your health. All right. Catch you next time. Thanks, Vicki. Bye. Bye.